0: Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Carl Starkey, co-founder of Awesome Sauce. Awesome Sauce is the world's most sustainable sauce, reimagining how we purchase and consume our favorite sauces and condiments. If you take a step back and look at grocery shelves, what it looks like in your refrigerator, you'll see tons of plastic bottles that you use once and you throw away. And when you dig in a little bit further, what the ingredients are in these products, ketchup, mustard, they're almost all water. So we're spending all these resources sending super heavy bottles that are pretty much all water that we already have in our home across the country just to be used once. Awesome changes, this by sending us a high-quality permanent bottle and then a mix that's tailor-made to the exact sauce we're looking to eat. Ketchup, barbecue, mustard, you name it. All you do is pour in a little bit of mix, add water from your sink or your fridge, shake it, and you're good to go. And so in the episode, Carl and I will discuss what exactly inspired the initial Eureka behind Awesome. The R&D required to take this project from idea to tangible product, launching in the Minnesota Twins Stadium and the different ideas the team has in bringing this product to market, their thoughts around direct-to-consumer versus getting into restaurants versus traditional retail and food service, and finally, the moonshot opportunity that is Awesome Sauce. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Carl Starkey, co-founder of Awesome Sauce. Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? All right, Carl, like I do with all our guests, let's just lay out the basics. What is Awesome Sauce?
1: Awesome Sauce is the world's first sustainability-focused sauce and condiment company. Our goal is to fundamentally change the way people sauce. We think there's a better way to do it. You look around the the household, you do a household audit, and you look at brands that are starting to take the water and the plastic out of the products that we're buying, and that's where we are. We're living in that world, and we're gonna change the way the kitchen operates.
0: Wow, you got that pitch down to a T. That
1: was off the cuff.
0: That was a new one
1: yeah because because we actually it's interesting how you present this we just got through tech stars which is an accelerator Uh is they're partnered with the minnesota twins so shout out to minnesota twins and tech stars we're going to be in the stadium on opening weekend uh which will be great so we came at this and our first pitch was awesome sauce is a zero waste sauce and condiment company boom zero waste sauce i could tell about my company in three words the problem though is packaging We're living in three different worlds. We're living in a sauce world. We're living in a a food science world. And we're living in a packaging world. And the packaging world is just so fucking behind. Like for what we're doing, we cannot get the highest moisture barrier that we need for the powder with the compostable options that are available. Mm -hmm. And so we've been going down that road hard, like six months. Mm -hmm. Like Paul has been racking his brain on meeting and meeting and meeting. Looking at different products, what's available, what's coming, when is going to be available, can we print on it, is it metallized? If it's metallized, great. Do we have the right metal detector? Like all the things that go behind mm-hmm. it, and literally, we go out and we do this demo day pitch, and and we're living in this world where we we got to come out with plastic. We can't say we're a zero waste sauce company if we're coming out with plastic. Mm-hmm. What we can say though is that's ninety five percent reduction of single use plastic. And then we're working toward and last week. We just find out there's an industrial compostable film available that we can use and has the barrier properties. So we're like, okay, are we back wow. at zero waste? <laughs> wow. So no, that was off the cuff. That, that like it, it changed. It, like we're a startup, like it changes mm-hmm. on
0: based on what's available. So let's double-click into what the core product offering is today. Can you just give a quick rundown on what awesome sauce version one is? Yeah, so what we're offering
1: at Awesome Sauce, the the different way to sauce or saucing responsibly, for us, that powders are perfect. So we're creating a powder product that is shipped to a consumer. We also sell a reusable vessel, so a container. You fill that with water, add the powder, and when you shake it up, you get all the sauces that you've come to know and
0: love. Got it. Thanks for that. And we got to rewind just a sec. You don't meet many people who become captivated by this particular problem. Oh, what's the ingredient makeup of this Heinz bottle, and why are we shipping around all this tomato water? And I will not be saying that name anymore on this episode.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> say it, say it, say it. Say it. We, we are more than comfortable villainizing. Heinz is a problem, and they know they're a problem. Mm-hmm. They know we're coming. I've talked to mm-hmm. them. They,
0: they know we're coming. <laughs> it's great. So, Alright, then. Can, can you just take us back to that Eureka moment, though, like when you and your partner decided this was an issue and you had to go about solving it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the sort of impetus behind it is we, we Paul and I, call ourselves dad entrepreneurs. So we each have two offspring, and we look at them, and those two guys and, and girls are they're they're coming into a world that has problems, and if if in our daily life, in our career, we can help solve those problems. Then we feel like we're doing our services, dads. So where it started, Paul has an illustrious twenty-year career on the grill. He has he is the hobby master on the grill, and he has been making sauces that we believe his sauces are better than your sauces. And so we're like, hey, what if we made a sauce brand? And we're like, worst case scenario, we're sitting on fifty thousand dollars worth of sauce in a garage, and we're going to farmers markets, and it's great. We're like, best case scenario, we take this thing, we're sitting on shelves, like we're walking through supermarkets like superheroes. And so we're like, all right, how do we get this? And Paul set up a meeting with a guy named Neil Herlocker. Herlocker's mustard in Pennsylvania is like a thing. It has a cult following. It's one product. They do do really well out of Penn State. His son is the goalie on my lacrosse team. So we're like, okay, let's talk to Herlockers and figure out how do you get a brand? How do you get a sauce into market on shelves? And so we talked to him and he he takes us through the whole gauntlet. He's your product doesn't sell in time. You pay for that. Your product breaks. You pay for that. Your product this. You pay for that. You pay for this. You pay for that. We're like, man, okay. That whole three-tiered manufacturer, distributor, retailer, not the move. So we're like, let's find a different way to actually do this um, and make it fun. And so direct to consumer then pops up. You look at direct to consumer and you start to think about the price that it costs to get a sauce to your doorstep, hey, I want to, I want to get sauce to Pete's doorstep. What's that going to cost? Am I paying for the shipping? Is he paying for the shipping? Like, how does that happen? So then you start to take the weight out of it, and as you go down that path to start to think about, is there a different way to deliver this? That's when you really hone in on the problem that the, the globally we face, which is that single-use plastic. If you think of sauces. When you walk up, you you address the, the sauce shelf, ketchup. Heinz is sitting there staring you in the face. You're like down the barrel of I'm going to buy this 20 ounces. You're not just buying that 20 ounces of sauce. You're buying that like 20 ounce bottle that Heinz was like, yeah, this is a good idea to make. And also they taxed you for making it. So you you buy this container. You dump out all the sauce and then you're like staring at it. You're like, yeah, I'll just throw that away. So we, we're eradicating that problem. Like you, you now buy a really nice high-end reusable bottle or jar and you make your sauce in it when you need it and you just wash it out and reuse it. This is
0: genius. And one more question around taking this from zero to one. You talk about the 20 plus years experience your partner has behind the grill, but this feels like a pretty tricky food science problem. It needs to be on par with the texture, the taste of all of these classic sauces, so What did the actual R&D process look like for you guys? Yeah, you're right. Like
1: on the surface, it's super easy. Like you just take powder and you mix it with water, you shake it a little bit, you got ketchup. But there is a lot that goes behind on the food science side that goes behind getting a product that's going to yield the right way. So we had four things that we wanted to test against. And I I have to throw it out there. Like this idea is a year old. And the company is six months old. So we've been hammering. We can go in 100 miles an hour. A year ago, we started buying as many products as we could. And we were getting like tomato powder at $17 a pound. And we're like, yes, this is amazing. Turns out you can get it for $1.30 a pound. <laughs> okay, great. When you're like working with scale. So one, there's a supply chain piece that you have to figure out because powders are coming from every which way. It also turns out Philadelphia is the flavor capital of the U.S., we're in philly so shout out philly um so we start getting as many ingredients as we can do doing the research behind how does this start to mix is it mixed does it have to be whipped does it have can you just shake it can it be cold water does it need heat and we started mixing testing against four things number one is taste it has to taste the same that's like table steaks number two is it has to look the same you can't come to with purple ketchup and be like no no no, guys it's good it's fine and then the consistency has to be right because there's mouthfeel. It, it can't be this runny, watery ketchup. People are going to be like, what is this? And then the last one is it has to cook the same. So people use sauce saucing cooking so much that you can't put a barbecue on some ribs and then they glaze over with this like crystalline uh, solution. That, that would be weird. And so we started text- testing against those things. And we have our co-manufacturer is amazing. That's a great relationship with us, which is super important. Um, and they have R&D in-house, so we work with them. We do the research in Sauce HQ, which happens to be Paul's. We do the, the initial steps there. Then we go to our co-man and we say, hey, look, we want to test these different thickeners and we, want, we need to get it a little smoother, a little thicker. And then now we're starting to work with, we have a PhD food scientist on the team um, from Cargo. And so she can take something from zero to hero.
0: Wow. And are you both pursuing this while managing full-time jobs elsewhere is there anything happening in parallel to enable all of this
1: yeah it's the wives the wonder women behind the scene mm-hmm. at first we were pulling double duty so i was working at comcast as a product manager i was the head lacrosse coach at Westtown. paul was the co athletic director at Westtown. We we're at eight o'clock we'd have these calls we'd be like all right we're jumping on at eight we're doing some research, right? You look into this, you look into this. And we'd be up until 10 o'clock. I call it rabbit holing. Sometimes I'd stay up until like 4 a.m. just doing research on who's doing what, who's funding what. <clears throat> but when we started out, we knew right away that this was not, it was either full go or, or nothing. Like we, we were not looking to build a lifestyle brand. And that's important because right away we started fundraising. So we raised $750,000 in the first four months. And in the summer, Paul went full-time. So he jumped in. And then in the fall, in October, I quit my full-time job. And then in January, I, re- I retired. So we're both fully in. Wow.
0: First of all, let's freaking go.
1: That is... Let's go. I know it's it's exhilarating. It's exciting. When you're in this, Like they talk about how lonely and how it's lonely at the top or... The entrepreneurial roller coaster—it's real because we've jumped in. So our families are making this bet with us. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: We've taken people's money, and those people are making that taking that jump with us. And so there's moments where you're like, I was talking about the packaging thing. Mm -hmm. You have a bad conversation on the packaging. You're like, man, that's going to crush our margins if we go this route, Mm -hmm. but the Marketing side of it, and so, and always in the back of your mind, I gotta sell a lot of ketchup to send my kid to college. <laughs> like, we, we gotta make this work. And so, it's motivating, it's scary, it's exhilarating, it's sexy, it's embarrassing, it's all of those things. But yeah, we, we jumped in right away because either we're gonna go or we're not. Like, this is we're not gonna be selling ketchup at farmers markets.
0: And so, if we fast forward, where does the company stand today, and what's the remaining delta from now and us being able to buy ketchup? barbecue, et cetera, from awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. We just finished Techstars last week. We we just got back home. So we're still at a a million miles a minute. I can give you the link to our little demo day pitch. So it talks about it a little bit, but in, in there's a slide and it says, we started this company last summer. In November, we were accepted to Techstars. In December, we did a pilot. We sold sauce. We sold 10K in sauce in four weeks just a test that people like this idea of sustainability. They'll try sauce in a different way. And then we finished Techstars um, middle of February, and now all hands on deck. We're building the team. We're getting all of the inventory. We've purchased all of the inventory, getting everything set up. We move into our office March 1st, which is the former Insomnia Cookies headquarters, which is cool. And so every, all roads lead to April. April is so important for us, and, and the reason is – that's when baseball season starts, and Awesome Sauce will be in dispensers in Target Field. So we're going to be in, th- in front of thousands of mouths and, and eyes, and so that's huge for us. We were cast for this TV show. It's an entrepreneurial competition television show. We can't say too many details, but it's going to start to air in April. So we get eyes from that. Then we're going to go digital. So our social push will be to, to start selling in April. And so in April, you can go to our website, and you'll be able to buy – uh, a kit, and so that it's super exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's coming super quick, but mm-hmm. and there's things that we're gonna do before that. We, we have some growth hacks that we're gonna do. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna sell thirty thousand free packets, and so that's just like the test the market, get it out there, get it, get reviews from
0: it, all that. Nice, got it. And in that OG kit, what are the flavors that will be available?
1: Yeah, the first ones that are coming out is gonna be the classic ketchup, our honey hickory barbecue. And our Chesapeake fire sauce.
0: Yum. And is it three separate bottles that will come with it or just one?
1: Yes. So our format right now is that the consumer can pick. They, mm-hmm. they can choose. Do they want three? We're going to come out with glass jars. One, they're 100% upcyclable. Two, it, the R&D behind the bottle is we're still working on that. You can't just come out with a plastic bottle because if you start putting that through the dishwasher that runs at about 200 degrees in, in home it'll start to break that down you get 10 uses out of it and now you have bpas in your sauce which is Mm -hmm. terrible so we're still doing r&d on the bottle that squeeze bottle is is projected to come out in the fall so we're Mm going to come out with a glass jar option it's got a little bougie feel to it it's kind of high end we're going to it's going to be it's going to have an acrylic tattooing on it it'll be super cool so you can buy one to three of those i mean you can buy more if you want but uh one to three of those and then the ketchup barbecue and hot sauce and then Soon after, we'll come out with truffle ketchup, a garlic sriracha, we're going to come out with multiple different barbecues, and we're going to come out with a mustard. We have a a yellow mustard, and we'll start to iterate on that.
0: So we've had a few startups in the pod pursuing the permanent container and refill model. And one of the recurring question marks is how this manifests in retail. Traditional retail has been built to accommodate large, relatively speaking, one-and-done goods, right? Customer comes in and buys a new bottle every time. But awesome changes that. So my question for you is, how are you thinking about getting onto shelves and making this a mutually beneficial relationship for traditional retailers? Yeah,
1: no, it's a great idea. <clears throat> Ultimately, we need to be on shelf next, to, next time because when somebody walks up, they're going to look at a company that's putting 1 billion single-use bottles into the world or a company that tastes better than Heinz. And we've, we have like unanimous taste tests where we win blind taste tests all the time, but has no environmental impact. And so on shelf is super important for us. I think sauce is a little bit different. We know those companies like Bite and Blue Land are, are exceptional examples. Um, and I think they're doing a wonderful job. We, we look up to them like they're, they're our North Star. I think we have a, a bit of a different value prop. It's sauce. Sauce is everywhere. Sauces on retail, sauces on e-com, sauces in restaurants, sauces on stadiums and venues. And so our go-to-market strategy has different starting points based on our funding projections. And so as we go, I know all of the brands that are on shelf and how much it costs per ounce. And so we're comparable on the per ounce yield. So we can easily sit on shelves. Now, what's really important is when you think about the Gen Z, which has magnificent buying power and they're coming up. They have such a desire to know the why behind the company and they're changing their patterns. So, 16% of sauces are bought on retail shelves. However, the pandemic has shifted from 3.2 visits to a grocery store to 1.8. And so, if I can go to a grocer and I can say, look, it's time to build out an eco friendly aisle then I can start to encourage those consumers to come back into the store and get them back up. And if you look at the cart size from a customer that has sauce in their cart, they're buying more things. Mm -hmm. And so for me, now I become a strategic partner because that store sees us as a vehicle to bring customers back into the store, not just buying online. And so Mm -hmm. when you look online, you're going to have a lot of variability, you're going to have limited runs. So it's really exciting and fun for the customer. They can build their, their sauce kit when they're on retail it's grabbing those steady eddies it's grabbing that ketchup quickly it's grabbing the things that they're they're familiar with and so for us that venn diagram it's not very distributed it's very tight like we will be where sauces are offered like when you think about starbucks starbucks has done an amazing job you as a consumer you don't have to choose not to drink starbucks mm-hmm. you do not have to do that because you can get it in store you can buy whole beans you get it in your office and k-cups like you get it in an arena like you don't have to choose not to drink starbucks same thing with heinz awesome sauce is going to be in that same equation
0: you brought up an interesting point before we jumped in here too which is getting sauce anywhere sauces today and the challenge as an operator is thinking through how to prioritize all the above so obviously online is first but then you have a number of channels you can exploit you have stadiums and arenas you have restaurant you have classic retail have you thought about how you're prioritizing all of the above and why what happens after you're in the twin stadium so i don't want to assume anything but after e-commerce and the all front charge there what happens next
1: Yeah, it's 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 a good question. And I think there's some variability there. There's a little bit of going with the winds. You put your sail up and you see where it takes you, which is part of any startup. But where we think going direct to consumer is phenomenal for us because it's going to get us as close to the consumer as possible. And we get all the feedback as much as possible. And we want our consumers to know that we're real, like we're people. And so we're taking that corporate veil down and getting their feedback, getting in retail is as quickly as we can is going to be the next move because that's where mm-hmm. they buy sauce when they're not thinking about it. And that's where we need to be. The other option that I think is is really exciting for us and, and to figure out how it plays into there is like the marketplaces. So when you get on Amazons and then when you look at like food service, so condiments, are, they're not a sexy line item. They're razor sharp margins and volume is key. And so when, when you think about the like Aramarks and the Sodexos and the Delaware Norths, building relationships with them so that we're not only in corporate kitchens, we're not only in universities, but we start to find ourselves just where people interact with sauce and the brand starts popping up and they get excited about it. And then they remember, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a new thing. I saw that online. I bought it. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah, that's right. It's over at ones and Byerly's. It'd be really cool when they get into Giant. So like there, there's a lot of strategic thinking there, but then there's also this sort of just being opportunistic and if there's a relationship like with the twins, huge shout out to them partnering with Techstars. Now we have this opportunity to see what does back of house look like with for our solution versus what's already being offered to them. Mm-hmm. And, and right now, the, it, it sucks. Switching those things out, those dispensers out, it's brutal. And so mm-hmm. we've we're offering them a four-step solution where right now they have a 12. And that's not even about the sauce. That's just functionally how they're getting the sauce to consumers.
0: Wow, I'm curious as on wholesale or as a corporate buyer how close are costs if I'm exploring awesome versus my my old classic go-tos am I going to save is it roughly on par am I paying a little bit more and obviously you guys have to reach a certain scale but let's assume at scale how Cost competitive is awesome.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll be right there. It depends on the venue. There's so many variables right now. Like We've seen scenarios where if you buy X product, poultry product, you're getting a rebate on sauces. You're not cost competitive at all there. That's a free sauce. And and we'll be in that game as well. So we will be, at scale, we will be on par, whether we're on shelf or at wholesale, we'll we'll Mm -hmm. be on par with what's offered because ultimately the value that we're bringing is a global benefit. And so I think Mm -hmm. there's a there's even if we're a couple of cents on yielded sauce more, you get that sort of environmental benefit. And so it's an easy value prop to to articulate. Mm -hmm.
0: It's funny. I'm thinking about all the obvious places that this will exist. And I love the twins as an example, because when you think about how sauce integrates into the customer experience right now you go up to the little kiosk and you push down the little barrel and, and it magically comes out and you actually don't you don't undermine or frustrate the customer at all the end customer at least exactly and i can imagine you have these big tubs instead of having to get a big plastic bag of a new thing and clean it out and stuff it and all that stuff you, ha- you already have the container you pour it with powder you add water and you're ready to rock and roll
1: yeah and and the form factor, what's really exciting is our our vessel, we're building this family that consumers can be really proud of. like mm-hmm. they, they like the look of it. it looks better. it functions better. There's just a whole bunch of wins. I think one of the things that we focus on is the hierarchy of our value props, which is a great problem to have. We're, we're not just hammering one value prop. We have multiple even think about your refrigerator right now if you walked into your refrigerator and you open the door or walked up to your refrigerator and you open the door what are you going to see mm-hmm. you're going to see random awesome. size oh, yeah. bottles everywhere some are old some are new some you're like damn it i, I thought i was going to use that but i just haven't ah and so one of our value props is just cleaning that mess up like you don't need to buy 16 ounces of Peanut Thai sauce, we could yield you five for the meal, and then our price point is competitive enough that you're fine to just wash that out and be like, hey, I'll make it again when I need it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we focus on is how, how do you structure those value props and how do you articulate them to your your customer segments where they're the most meaningful. And so mm-hmm. it's a good problem to have though. <laughs> it's not like we're just taking one value prop and ramming it into the
0: same um, throat. Dude, I am, I am blown away by how um, how cognizant and thoughtful you are about how to speak to a particular customer based on where you're selling into. The language you might use in email marketing versus selling on site and someone might be being exposed to awesome for the first time. It's, it's super impressive. I'm curious, how have you and your partner – decided to to delegate what where is there a division of responsibilities or is it right now is like both you all hands on deck all of the above
1: yeah it's not even we have to give a huge shout out to the people that are supporting us we have a supporting cast it's incredible whether they're mentors or whether they're investors or if they're contracted like there's we weren't we aren't just doing this alone but right now the way that we divide out it's mostly by skill like the one thing again we're coaches Like we know that we're not the experts and that is so important. We know that we are not the experts, but what we do know we are the experts at is getting buy-in, building a team and getting people excited about what we're doing and want to be a part of it. We are good at that. And because we're good at that, even between ourselves, like it's like a co-captain situation. If there's a conversation or a relationship and I'm like, Paul, I can't do it, man. Look, I'm just not vibing with that person. I can't talk to that person. Like this is you. And he's like, all right, I got you. And so, We approach things so differently. I'm a fly by the seat of your pants. He's more of a planner. And so he's on the operations right now. All things formulation, all things operation, all things inventory, all things fulfillment. He's crushing that. And that's such an operational thing that like I'm an operational guy. My mind works that way, but he's a better executor. And then right now, my focus is one where we just opened our seed round. So I'm fundraising. And on the marketing side, just like what you're talking about, how do you build out customer profiles, find out what they already do, how they do it, where they do it, why they do it, and then talk to them. Introduce your introduce the product. And the words that you use are a little bit different. Paul and I just had a conversation with uh, University of San Francisco class about storytelling. And it's all about that. We have three main customer profiles. They divide themselves up two female one male statistically 66 percent of sauces are purchased by one. we have one that's a highly sustainable focused customer profile we have one that's a home cook so efficiency focused and then we have willie mctee william mcthacherson is the guy he's this is fucking cool i can make iterations on this i'm buying a tesla because that thing rips off the line don't really care about sustainability but it's there so that's a benefit and mm-hmm. so when you talk to those three, from Aaron to Tara to William, they want to receive different content. They want a different storyline. They want to get excited about something a little bit different, but our message stays the same. It's just how you tailor it to them.
0: Wow. I'd love to to quickly jump into the financing piece before we get to the bookends. So you just opened your seed round. Maybe talk a little bit about how much you're looking to raise, progress today, you know, who exactly you're looking for and why. And let's see if we can get the, the Enhanced community to rally behind it in some way.
1: Yeah, I'd love it. Honestly, Convos, like anybody that's, that's here in this, reach out, please. We're very inviting. We'll have a Convo with anybody. We love talking about sauce. So we are raising our seed round. It's a $2 million seed round. It's an equity raise. And so we're looking for as strategic partners as possible. And for us, strategic is pretty broad. So... If you are in the, the food innovation space, that's great. That's a strategic partnership. If you are in the retail space, great strategic partnership. Ecom, marketing, uh, storytelling, like content generation. We like to say that we have a SaaS model, our sauce as a service. We're not really a tech company. So there's a number of VCs that are like, look, we're in FinTech or we're in, in some kind of tech world. Fair enough. Those conversations don't really last too long. But if you're in the ecom business, I come from the tech world. So like our technical stack, on, on Shopify, what we're building to service the customers that are coming to our site is robust. And our team that's building that out, it's gonna be fun, it's gonna be interactive. Like we will be able to re-engage and understand who and why they're coming to us. And anybody that's in that world, we totally invite them to, to come in. We have our eye on a few top VCs to help us in that seed round, but love the the In Good Hands community to jump on board.
0: My last question before we get to, to the wrap off is the moonshot here, right? Awesome itself lends itself to a number of things. Right now you're focused on sauce, and sauce itself is a massive
1: opportunity. $130 billion
0: industry that's
1: projected to grow 5% a year.
0: Wow. I'm curious, how are you thinking about the moonshot here for awesome? Is it sauce all the way to the finish line, or will there be other ancillary products in the pipeline? How are you thinking about the grand opportunity here for awesome?
1: Yeah, it's the same idea. Wind in the sails concept. We'll go where customers are are needing us. But if it's left, if we're left to our own devices, we're going to build an awesome kitchen. So when you start to do that household audit, like you talked about the other products that are taking that plastic in the water out, when you look at the kitchen, there are some really cool opportunities with the packaging with things that are being shipped to you that are high water volume that just don't need to be. And so we'll start to take an audit of that and start to innovate and back into other things. So awesome sweets, awesome gravies. There's a whole bunch of opportunity there, but it has to make financial sense. Like we have to do what makes sense for the business. And so if acquisition comes before that, great. We're going to help push that all the way to that mm-hmm. line. And if it doesn't, then we'll keep expanding in the kitchen.
0: Love it. It'll be an exciting journey either way. And so, Carl, now that we've made it to the bookends, it's time for my favorite question of every interview. And that question is, what is one idea you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now, is just rotting away in your idea graveyard?
1: Oh, yeah. It's funny that you say that because when so Paul was my boss at West End. When he hired me, I pitched him the idea. I wanted to go after this. So shout out to my man, Ray Vargas. My idea that is in the graveyard and rotting away right now is called The Rack. It is a is an application that allows you to buy small quantities of craft beer. And it works off of a, a coin ownership system. So every state has different legislation on whether you make it, sell it, or buy it in that state. And so what becomes really challenging is... You might go to college in one state or you might have a really fun event in one state. You try this beer and you really like it, but their capacity is just they just make and sell on site. There's no distribution. And they can't service their customers who are not within that radius. So the concept would be you could scroll through, find those microbreweries, say, hey, I want to buy a four pack and then have that ownership moved so that then they can ship it to you.
0: Interesting. Okay, how long have you been sitting on this one? and? Why do you think it hasn't been pursued yet?
1: So we built the logo. We got UI. We got wireframes built out. So we, we, I've been sitting on that one for probably three and a half years now. Didn't, didn't fully pursue it. I, the struggle is just the legality behind alcohol, shipping alcohol, picking up alcohol, receiving alcohol.
0: That's a fascinating idea, Carl. Anyways, thank you for sharing. And now, like I do with all my guests, I'd love to roll out the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs? Anything you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours.
1: That's great. I, I appreciate it. I, With that opportunity, we exhibit like ultimate positivity and appreciation. So I'd just like to take the opportunity to say a huge thank you and shout out to everybody that's helping. Like in this podcast today or in this podcast booth, last one out media is is helping me with this and like they have ideas and they push us forward. Our designers, they push us forward, our mentors and our investors, they push us forward. So we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the people that get excited about this idea and give us the energy that we're asking for. And so with my red carpet, I would ask everybody who's part of Awesome to just feel appreciated and, and understand that like we fully We're so thankful for the work that they do to help push us forward.
0: I'm going to do that one again. There you have it. Carl, I got to say, I tip my hat to you and your partner for having the courage to take the leap into this in the first place and cannot wait to see y'all win here. And for anyone listening who wants to follow along, what is the, the one place that they can follow along? Yeah, I'd say probably
1: Instagram, fast and easy. Cool beans.
0: Carl, once again, you're the man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Hey there! You made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again, and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.